So the petrol crisis appears to be finally over. But was it just a conspiracy? Was it all just a scam to A, get us to buy more fuel that they had lying around and B, force us into buying electric cars? I'll tell you right after this. So yesterday morning, I found a guy forlornly staring at a petrol pump here in northwest London. Uh, and the petrol station was relatively quiet, it was relatively empty. Which, to be honest, is a bit of an unusual sight compared to what's been going on over the last couple of weeks. So I figured that maybe he was out for petrol and there was no petrol. So I went up to him and I said, uh, what's the matter? Is, uh, is it empty? And he goes, no, no, there's, there's actually petrol here. I'm like, wow. So what's the issue? He said, well... I got here, I was so excited that there was actually petrol at the petrol station, there was no queue, that I put my card in the wrong slot and now it's stuck in there. <laughs> so he was basically waiting for somebody to come and rescue his card out of the machine. So anyway, that suggests that things are finally getting back to normal after the absolute madness of the last couple of weeks, especially here in the southeast of the UK and in London as well, particularly here in northwest London, it's been absolutely crazy. The roundabout at the end of my road has been constantly gridlocked whenever there was petrol in the station, in the shell station that's just after that roundabout. And basically, it's complete lunacy because what you had was a situation of people driving around, using up the petrol that they had to look for more petrol. It's crazy. And many of those people were driving around with half a tank full of fuel. So it's not like they even needed it. But it's just the panic mentality that sets in with people when they're suddenly like, oh my God, I need to get petrol. Somebody told me the other day that um, somebody said to them that, oh, I've only got three quarters left in my tank. I better go out and get some petrol. No, use it up. There's petrol out there. And that was always the case. There was never any actual shortage of petrol. But because everybody went out and they created this uh, situation, which by the way, think about what happens in this environment. And think about certainly what happened here. Um, you find, and there was a report where I saw there was a report where an ambulance driver was interviewed and he was like, I can't go out and rescue people because I'm stuck in a queue waiting to get fuel. Now he was, it was diesel for him, he couldn't even get diesel at that point. It was like, I'm waiting to get diesel. So imagine like, you know, you need an emergency vehicle. And you know, I know of people that couldn't get to, uh, the, uh, to the NHS work. I know people that couldn't get to school. All kinds of stuff was happening. And it was crazy because traffic was so bad. And the other thing that of course happened was that by doing this, we all together managed to push the price for fuel to an eight year high. So how did this all happen? Well, it all happened because the BBC made out, made, well, they made a headline out of something that wasn't even really a news story, let's be honest. Basically, five BP stations, five BP stations ran out of fuel in the country. Now, keep in mind, in the country, there are more than 8,000 petrol stations. 8,000 petrol stations and five BP stations ran out of fuel and suddenly that became news. This was, of course, accelerated in this current context of the situation that we already have with a lack of HGV drivers. So already we have the situation where there aren't things in the supermarket, where it's difficult, where they're saying there won't be enough turkeys for Christmas and all of that sort of stuff because there's not enough HGV drivers. So of course they jumped on that bandwagon. 
not realizing that actually the HDB drivers that drive the fuel tankers are a different breed because they have to have an additional qualification on top of just having an HDB license because of the safety concerns around driving, you know, a truck full of fuel. So, you know, it's, it's a whole different thing. Um, so it doesn't directly relate to the HDB shortage. Anyway, pandemonium broke loose and everybody went out and they deluged all the petrol stations and basically drained them. Now, the conspiracy theorists immediately went to work. In fact, I think there were one or two people on Twitter that were deliberately putting out conspiracies. There's a few people out there that just like to do this just to show. So they feed stuff into Twitter, they feed stuff into WhatsApp, and they're doing it knowing that it's a conspiracy. They're doing it just to prove how gullible and, well, stupid people are. And they are, let's be honest. I mean, you know, when there's a collective mass thinking uh, that basically ignores logic and goes for panic, then that's kind of what happens. So one of the conspiracies was that really this, were, this whole situation was created by the government in collusion with the media in order to sell a whole load of surplus fuel that had been left lying around because obviously recent pandemic lockdowns because obviously we weren't using our cars and so therefore nobody was fueling up so therefore there must be a whole load of fuel lying around and of course fuel has an expiry date so you don't want that to go to waste so we need to sell it so let's create a panic and people will all go out and buy loads and loads of extra fuel. Well... <laughs> You know, that's not exactly true because according to uh, some data that I found, and there's a few article links that I'll put into the description below if you want to check them, but from the information that I found, fuel stocks stayed at normal levels throughout the pandemic. And in fact, there was only one quarter where it did exceed demand and it exceeded demand by the grand amount of 0.08%. That's how minutely they measure these things. It's incredible, right? But because, you know, because we have this situation with most things now in, uh, in business where it's a just-in-time supply situation, you know, if, if demand falls, they're able to adjust the supply immediately. So really, there isn't such a scenario that there was loads of petrol sitting around and nobody was buying it. They just reduced supply. That's what happened. So as demand falls, I mean, don't forget, you know that this is true because as demand falls, prices fall and you remember prices had dropped i mean i'm talking about you know uh one pound 52 pence per liter now and i remember seeing one pound 18 per liter at the time that's how far prices had dropped so and also the other thing you're thinking is like well okay by by, by doing this a you're getting rid of the petrol and also the government needs money because they've spent so much on the pandemic that they need to make that back so actually this is a way for them to do it well even there maybe but not really, because at the end of the day, they make apparently exactly 57.95 pence per liter of fuel that is sold. And that doesn't go up and it doesn't go down. That stays the same. In fact, it stayed the same since uh, 2010. So all that happens is, okay, if the prices are going up, it's because of the cost of delivery of that fuel or the cost of the business or so whether it's bp or shell or whether you get it from morrison's or asda or whatever it's those companies that are putting it up or putting it down they're not the government because the government is getting a fixed amount per liter out of it so they're not actually good so you know if the prices are going up they're not actually making any more money you could argue that yes all of a sudden a lot of people bought more fuel so therefore they did make more money yes that is true but in the great scheme of things it wouldn't have made that much of a difference let's be absolutely honest so so let's scrap that theory. It's nothing to do with loads of fuel sitting around that they needed to get rid of. That's not why we had the petrol crisis. What's the other theory? The other theory, and you know what? There is a level at which you could say that this is plausible. Um, 
And that theory was uh, is said to be orchestrated in order to push more of us towards electric cars. Now I have to confess that whilst this whole thing was going on, I was reviewing the Audi e-tron GT and the review is now live on this channel and I'll put the link below but you can find it on my channel. So, so I, I am definitely one of those people, despite being a little bit of an EV skeptic, and I have to be honest, that skepticism has been reducing over the last few months. But anyway, despite being that, I was one of those guys that was driving around with smug face past petrol station queues going, <laughs> I've got EV. I don't need to queue up for petrol. However, I wasn't that smug at times. Because one thing I realized is that not having, living in an apartment and not having the facility to charge at home, I rely on my local petrol station, which is down the road, to go there and plug it in. And what I realized quite quickly was that because of the huge queues outside that petrol station, I couldn't actually get to the charging point inside the petrol station. Ha! <laughs> Fortunately, I managed to find a time when they'd run out of petrol, so I just drove in there, sat there for an hour, charged it up. Anyway, that's beside the point. The point is that, yes, all of those people driving EVs at that time, apart from obviously being stuck in traffic with everyone else, were feeling happier and smug about the whole situation because, of course, they didn't need fuel. And, of course, the argument goes that in the UK, it would look good, especially now, for an upsurge of demand and interest in EVs, because, of course, this is just ahead of the COP26 conference on climate change, a really big event that is happening in Glasgow next month in November, and it's being hosted by the UK government. So imagine how good they would look if they went, yes, but, you know, Britons are buying X percent more electric cars, and all of a sudden, all of this is happening. So, you know, that could be part of an argument. Um, and as it happened, it, it did happen. In fact, according to Order Trader, they did see a massive surge in the demand uh, for the share of adverts for new cars for EVs. So, for example, the new cars that they and new car adverts that they have on Auto Trader, a typical share of those ads that would be for electric cars. Well, at the beginning of September, it was fourteen point two percent. By the end of September, it was. 26.5% and that's the highest they've ever had it for EVs. That's the highest it's ever been. So there was clearly a massive, massive interest um, in September for that when, you know, just when this was all happening. And obviously that must have led into October as well. Also, it's interesting to note the two cars apparently that got most uh, searches was the Ford Mustang Mach-E, which I have reviewed, and I'll again I'll put the review for that below, or you'll find it on this channel anyway. And uh, I'm not surprised because it's got a really good range on it. I'm really impressed, apart from say a Tesla, the Marquis has got pretty good range on it, and uh, the Hyundai Ioniq 5, which is a really good looking EV from uh, Korea, of course from Hyundai, which I haven't yet reviewed. Um, but um, but yeah, let me know if you want me to review that one. It looks really good. Anyway, those were uh, those were the ones that people were searching for most. And in addition to that, Halfords also reported well over a 100% increase in interest for electric bikes. So definitely, you can see the movement there going towards electric cars. However, I still maintain that this was a blip because in the big picture scenario, yes, of course, everybody was suddenly interested in electric cars as they were stuck in queues for petrol stations where they would probably run out of petrol before you got to the end of the queue anyway. 
they would have their thoughts would have turned to well you know let me just get an electric car surely life would be easier and i think that you know for a lot of people that could be the case but the trouble is that when people go shopping and they start looking as they obviously they did with auto trader they went shopping and they started looking at prices and they realized that the prices of the electric cars is still very very high compared to the petrol or diesel equivalents and that can be off-putting to a lot of people of course this is offset by lower taxes because of no emissions and also because of the savings in fuel now the savings in fuel is um is an area of quite some interest because one thing I've discovered recently is that if you are doing what I am doing which is just going out to public charging stations at probably peak hours and charging there the saving in fuel is not that significant and if you want to check out uh, hashtag BCG Audi e-tron GT on my Instagram you will see I basically reported on how much it cost me to charge that car twice and when you look at the overall picture you think well and basically compared to the mileage I did and the money that I spent on you think well that was pretty much the same as what you would have spent on a petrol car um, probably I would have spent more because it was a more thirstier it would have been a more thirstier bigger GT touring car sort of thing but having said that yeah you wouldn't be that wrong having said that I have seen evidence that where somebody uh, doing pay, paying say 1500 pounds over a year doing 10,000 miles in their car by switching to an EV charging at home making use of off-peak tariffs and stuff like that actually managed to get that 1500 pound bill down to less than 150 pounds so you can see there are phenomenal savings there. But anyway, the big picture thing for a lot of people is like, oh my God, but the electric car is very, very expensive. And that's still something that puts people off, as does range anxiety. Now, range anxiety, obviously, is the fear that you're going to run out of battery charge uh, before you get to where you're going or before you get home or whatever. And it's a very real thing with the electric cars, especially as I have found from personal uh, experience that the range indicators on electric cars are not necessarily as accurate as, for example, the fuel range indicators on ICE cars. ICE by ICE, I mean internal combustion engines. Um, this is because the, I think this is because the electric car range depends on A, how you're driving it, which of course is true of uh, petrol cars as well, but it seems to be a little bit more sensitive. So for example, when you switch the modes, if, you, if your car has a sports mode, normal mode economy mode when you switch it then you don't see a huge difference in the range when you're driving along in a fuel car maybe a slight difference but in a petrol in an electric car you will see a substantial range difference and if you do things like accelerate onto an on-ramp for a motorway you will see a big difference where the range suddenly I mean you've gone you know a few hundred meters or so but the range will have dropped by nine miles or something like that you know that that's that's kind of what happens also if you're using the climate control etc etc it makes a difference so uh, people have still got range anxiety and of course the other reason they have range anxiety is of course the scenario that i'm in where you can't charge at home so where do you charge it you know and there aren't enough charges again smmt says you know there should be i think it was 700 charges a day should be being installed in the uk between now and 2030 and that's just not happening so there won't be enough charges public charges anyway in time to meet that 2030 deadline which by the way I'm still quite skeptical about I will just say when it comes to electric cars that maybe okay a lot of people are sitting there thinking that well I should switch to electric car because I can't get petrol but what people might want to think of and to be honest I've changed my opinion about plug-in hybrids although having said that I still wouldn't own one and that's because of my particular set of circumstances and this is the problem I have with plug-in hybrids it's like well if it's a hybrid there's an engine in it anyway you just fill it up and it's just fueling and it's charging the electric part so why do I need to charge it up again that seems a bit redundant to me you know I can just drive it around and it's going to charge the other bit it's just going to keep going now 
especially when this charging is not easy. So if charging for me means I have to find a public charging spot, I have to park it there, I have to plug it in, and I have to charge it, etc., etc., etc. The proponents of plug-in uh, hybrids will argue, and I think justifiably so, that the, the best usage of that is for people that can keep it plugged in in their drives at home because invariably most of them will give you 20 to 30 miles of EV range only the latest cars that are going to come out pretty soon from what I know you're going to be getting ranges of between 50 and 60 miles just on EV alone now what that means and keep in mind that we already know for example that the average motorist in the UK does 20 miles a day so, you know, most people will do 20 miles a day. So if you're talking about an EV range of 30, 40, 50 miles a day, then theoretically you go about your daily chores, you are never actually going to dip into the petrol that you've got in your fuel tank. You'll just be doing that on electric charge only. And when you're done and you go home and you plug it in again, you're just charging up again. Next day you repeat that. However, if you find yourself in a situation where you know you suddenly need to go and catch up with uh, Auntie Samina in uh, Bradford, then it's not a problem because you can jump in your car and you can go and you don't have to worry about do I have enough charge to get there? Where am I going to stop? Is it the right charger? Am I paid the right subscription? Will it cost me what? What you know, etc. Et and working all that stuff out in your head as you do with electric cars. No, because you have petrol and you can just put in most of them. Are most plug-in hybrids are petrol, so you can just put petrol in and off you go. So it's the best of both worlds. And plus, I think that they will legitimately, legally be allowed. I personally think till 2035 because there is a little bit of a gray area about what cars are going to be allowed uh, some hybrids are going to be allowed after 2030 but not all of them but I think plugins probably will do personally like I said again I don't think we're going to hit that 2030 deadline I think because of the lack of infrastructure because of the lack of charging points because of the lack of uptake at the moment I mean this is only eight years away think about it we're now coming up to the end of 2021 you know it's two months away so I don't think it's going to happen but anyway that, that's that's the theory behind that so you'll be safe safer to get one of those Anyway, coming back to the whole uh, situation with um, the fuel conspiracy thing. Now, what happens when, um, so for example, you say, well, we, the, the idea is that they want more of us to switch to electric cars. This was possibly one of these aspects of the conspiracy. One of the issues with that is if you look, and we've got evidence to show that this is true, um, we currently consume 100 million barrels per day around the world of oil. This is this is the current consumption. Um, with electric cars and electric vehicles, so transportation accounts for a huge amount of that, that is expected to drop by nearly half by 2050. That's a significant, significant difference. Now, uh, while you, you look at fuel at your pump and you think fuel is expensive, but oil isn't actually in fact at the moment it's under right to i've just checked it today it's under 80 dollars per barrel it's always measured in per barrel so it's 80 dollars per barrel is the global price of oil right now it peaked at 125 dollars per barrel in 2012 i think it was peaked or 2010 so anyway well, at some point it peaked um and then 2014 for example it was 108 dollars uh, per barrel now that was in 2014 now, in 2014, if you can cast your mind back, there was a little bit of a crisis with fuel and fuel prices because there was an oversupply at the time. That saw prices go from that 108 that I mentioned to $44 in just six months by uh, 2015. And a year later, it dropped to 30, just under $30 a barrel. So that was quite a substantial, substantial uh, drop. 
And uh, what happened at that time is that you actually saw this, this sort of stuff severely impacts oil exporting developing economies. And of course, as we now know, with the global economy being as it is, the way that we're all interlinked and interconnected, when something happens in one part of the world, we can't just say, ah, oh, look at them, they're in trouble, they've lost all their money. No, eventually it's going to impact you as well, because it just goes around the world, because investments from those countries are in other countries, etc., etc., etc. So there's a domino effect that basically affects the entire ecosystem of economics, if you like. You know, that's, that's kind of inevitable. And then if you look at what happened last year, because obviously, there, like I said, supply would have just reduced because everybody was stuck at home and nobody was traveling, then prices did go down. They went down to 70, sorry, the, the volume of oil produced went down to 71 million barrels per day. Remember, I just said it's about 100 million barrels per day is, is uh, the normal average. And last year, prices in America dropped how can I say this? They didn't drop. They sort of went into negative. They went into minus $37 per barrel. So you couldn't give away a barrel. It's like people were like giving it back. So I don't want it. It's like, it's, I don't want fuel. Take it. I'll give it back. You know, minus, minus 37. That's crazy. I, I, like, I, I can't even compute that. I can't even comprehend how that works. But anyway, apparently that's what happens. So as you can see, the, con the idea that governments want to do this because they quickly want to force us into electric cars I don't think is entirely justifiable either for two reasons. A, because I don't think they're smart enough. I don't think that anybody has planned a strategy like that. The one thing, this is the thing I always say about conspiracies. Because all the people that drum up these conspiracies, basically what I think is like, well, you're smarter than who, the person you're giving credit for that conspiracy. Because other people normally won't have thought about that. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a level of deviousness, or you could argue that governments have that, but there's a level of devious uh, cunning that often is quite lacking in governments. And if we see the track record of uh, the government in the UK at the moment, in particular with what's happening with the energy crisis, with the energy prices of our home heating prices are going to happen the lack of things in the shelves and you know uh, the uh, the protests on the m25 all the stuff that's going on you go yeah there's there's a level of competency there that doesn't quite equate to the level of conspiracy that we are attributing to the government i think anyway that's one part of it and the other part of it of course is they wouldn't want that to happen they wouldn't want everybody to switch over to electric thereby dropping the consumption of oil that quickly that rapidly uh, over across across the entire globe because there would be serious economic financial repercussions of that happening. So therefore, you have to do this in stages. So, in summary, the petrol crisis was not a conspiracy, and it wasn't caused by uh, a sh it was it was it wasn't caused by a surplus of fuel sitting in barrels waiting to be sold before the expiration date, and nor was it an attempt to get all of us to buy electric cars because a that didn't happen. It wouldn't happen. It couldn't happen. In fact, there aren't enough cars is the other thing I should have mentioned, of course. It's like even if you're trying to get everybody to buy electric cars, well, the, the manufacturers can't build the cars fast enough at the moment because they can't get the semiconductors, uh, the computer chips that they need to build those cars. So car production across the globe has fallen and not because of demand. It's just because manufacturers just can't build them because they haven't got the materials to build the cars. So that wouldn't have worked anyway. And in fact, you don't want to do that because you don't want to uh, deplete the demand demand for uh, oil around the world because then, you, then the economy will just go to shit. <laughs> That's what will happen. So petrol crisis wasn't a conspiracy. It was called, caused merely by a shortage of some drivers for one company and the fact that we are all morons. Thanks so much for watching. A big thank you to my top tier patron and sponsor Jay Williams over Air Technic. Check out their shop for brakes, exhaust, body kits and of course 
suspension. Plus, thanks to Muhammad Ali Omed and Tom Conway Gordon, who are both tier four patrons. And of course, all of these guys for also subscribing to my Patreon account and contributing so much towards helping me to continue creating this content. Join them over at patreon.com forward slash brown car guy. And of course, make sure that you are subscribing, liking and sharing this channel. Hit that bell notification icon so you don't miss any of my videos. And also check out browncarguy.com and follow me on all social media channels. Just search for my hashtag, which of course is hashtag browncarguy.